Business as Unusual is a thought-provoking podcast that explores the innovative strategies, disruptive ideas, and unconventional practices driving successful leaders and companies in the ever-evolving world of modern business. Subscribe, comment, and share for weekly inspiration with our host, Aisela. Hello, welcome to Business as Unusual. This is Aisela, and I am chatting with Sean Hale, founder of Sean Hale Consulting. Welcome, Sean. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you. Before we get into the weeds, I'm going to ask you a little bit of a personal question is, what's the last artist that you got lost in? I love that question. For me, typically to really get lost, it's music and it happens once every five or 10 years. And so I stumbled upon this group, gosh, it's probably about five or six years ago called Invalids. And they do a style of music called mass rock, which is a subgenre of prog rock. And it there are a couple of their pieces that kind of feel to me like those cusp, copper whisk, whisk things that people use to massage their heads. Mm. It feels like that except inside my brain when I hear some of their music. It just, it's firing all the nerves in my brain at once. It's really neat stuff. I've never heard of that math rock. Mm -hmm. Do you have a particular song or album that you recommend? For this group, for Invalids, the song that really does it for me is called Satellite. Um, it has some neat acapella and some nice crescendos and rising and falling and need things happening, at least for me. For some folks, I'm sure it just sounds like a bunch of notes whirring by. All the musicians are virtuosos, but they're not virtuosos in the kind of hairband 1980s kind of way. It's to paint a picture, not to stand there on the stage, rock out kind of thing, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. well, thank you. That sounds really intriguing. I look forward to checking them out. So your company is... You do consulting for nonprofits and you do a lot of the back office work. Do you want to talk a little bit about that in a better way than what I just said? <laughs> that was probably not full spectrum or is it helpful for people to hear? Yeah, sure. Let's dig in. I started Sean Hill Consulting January 1st, 2020, because after a little over 20 years as a nonprofit here, I wanted to do more to help nonprofits, individual nonprofits move the needle. Because I've seen over and over again that behind every successful nonprofit, you find a strong back office and vice versa. If you find a nonprofit that's struggling, more often than not, you lift up the hood and, oh my gosh, there, there are a number of things going on in the back office that really you fix those and some of the other stuff starts to function well. And the, these days, there's a team of nine of us helping the nonprofits, a bunch of mostly accountants, nonprofit with strong nonprofit experience. And we help small, medium-sized nonprofits with especially their, their accounting and finance functions. So things like fractional CFO services, interim accounting, indirect cost rate calculations, administrative assessments. And we also do some special projects. That is so helpful. It is the filing, I ran a couple of nonprofits and I used to have to kind of champion that. And I'll admit I'm a spreadsheet geek. So I like the, those pieces of the business. And at the mm -hmm. same time, it's just, it's really hard sometimes to prioritize that over the mission. I, and I get it. We can feel almost like a distraction, but like you said, it is often the foundation that allows the work to be so much more successful. 
and the product, the, the, the worker is to be properly cared for. That's exactly right. And there are, the, there are challenges that nonprofits face and getting that function to flourish. Part of it is that very often, if you have a small nonprofit, they're very often founded and run by somebody who's about passion, who's about heart. And so that person, more often than not, hasn't had a lot of training or experience in some of the nuts and bolts kind of things. And their heart is also pulling them out back out to the front lines. And then we also have our dear, I'd say friend, but it's really more of an enemy, the overhead myth, which mm-hmm. is this cockamamie idea that you can measure a nonprofit's impact in the world by looking at how little they spend on administration. And the less they spend, the more impact they must be having. And that crazy overhead myth reinforces some of the stuff that some of us are already wired with anyway, culturally, that abstinence is is wonderful and joy is sinful and we should be cheap. And those things end up really hurting nonprofits, end up making a lot of choices that are penny-wise and pound-foolish because of the overhead myth. Whereas if they would actually spend the right amount on administration, like making sure staff have good computers that work and crazy stuff like that, you get good equipment into your staff's hands, they're going to be able to be more productive. And they're also going to, their morale is going to be better. They're going to feel more respected, more engaged. They're more likely to stick around, less likely to leave your organization, like significantly less. And that turnover is really expensive. And so For me, it's amazing that there are just all these opportunities to make small, relatively small and inexpensive adjustments in how the back office is happening, and that can end up having a big impact on the organization. And it is. The cost of turnover is invisible sometimes, I think. It's like when you cut training. You're, oh, we could cut the training budget. And yes, you're right. You're not going to feel that immediately. And... You do feel it. And it's it's counterintuitive sometimes to understand the ways in which that the bottom line isn't always as directly seen in the impact when you miss some of those foundational support pieces. I tell you this business as unusual. So what do you think is unusual about what you guys are up to or how you approach your work or one piece of it, and I think this is new to nonprofits, besides the whole let's lift up the back office part, is that I've ended up building kind of a gig economy kind of business. The, there are these parts of the nonprofit ecosystem that have been failing for years, and the pandemic just put that much more strain on them, and we saw much more failure. So on the one hand, just the way that we have historically run nonprofit back offices has not been working well, and it's been gradually getting worse and worse. So that's we're seeing that in the breakdown of the accounting functions, right? That the long hours, the high stress, the low pay is pushing people out. We're seeing that in the great resignation. It's absolutely hitting accounting professionals. And I've seen that just in the ecosystem here where I am, that people, it's really hard to hire accountants. And we're seeing it nationwide where 17% of all the CPAs in America have resigned in the last two years. They have left the profession. And it was bad before that, but that's about one in six CPAs are no longer available to run your, not either your nonprofit back office or do your taxes or do your audit or the, any of the other functions that CPAs do. And so that's creating a massive strain on the system. People that need that level of expertise, they're having a hard time filling those vacancies. And so for those nonprofits that have had a CPA 
shaped position, they're having a hard time filling those. And then on the other hand, there have lots and lots of talented accounting colleagues who they still want to work, but they do not want to work the way they used to, right? Mm -hmm. Whether they are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, what have you, they want to stay in the workforce, but it's hard for them to find a part-time job that really fully taps their talent and is still engaging and stimulating. It's hard to find employment for them where they're using their skills, but they can actually have the work-life balance that they need. And hard for them to find these opportunities that are less stressful, where they can actually take two weeks off if they need to or what have you and not feel like the world is going to fall apart around them. And so I've been able to see the confluence of those two challenges. And all right, there, there is an opportunity here. There are lots of nonprofits that need temporary accounting support, who need a fractional CFO. They don't need a CPA or a CFO full-time. 10, 20, 30 hours a month can make a massive difference for that small or even mid-sized nonprofit. I think we were spoiled before and we thought, oh, we need a CPA for every accounting function. No, the CPA is actually very highly skilled person. And having somebody at that skill level or at a CFO skill level, they can do a great job of making sure things on track. And if the rest of the accounting team is trained well, you don't necessarily need CFO level stuff. Even if you're a three, four, five million dollar nonprofit, you don't necessarily need that on a full-time basis. Mm -hmm. You do need somebody who can help make sure things are running smoothly. And when they're not, get them back on track and then create employment for other folks who don't you don't always need that heavy firepower all the time. That makes a lot of sense that getting that expertise and that acumen into the back, back office for a business that doesn't necessarily need or want that full-time focus and giving those folks that you're working, that you're hiring, the ability to be a little flexible. I appreciate that. I definitely like to be able to do things that are about my personal life and supporting my family and also have a consistent work. So honestly, there's a whole other rabbit hole because I really think that would be ideal for everybody. And most of us would like to have that yeah. access. I'm very fulfilled by my work and I love to work. And at the same time, I'm also very fulfilled by the world, my family and my personal experiences. And it doesn't seem right that we have to constantly choose as opposed to really having more integrated social experience. But we should not have to choose. Nonprofiteers should not have to choose between work-life balance and actually serving the right cause. They, yeah. We should be able to have both. And I appreciate that you're doing some things to make that more possible. I definitely see the ways in which admin and accounting pieces are so critical to that. Do you have a specific example about a way that you have done this or a, a typical problem that you solve for a client that might be something people can relate to? Oh, goodness gracious. Each client is unique, certainly, but for the most part, they, and we get a mix of clients. Some of them come to us and they're, they have challenges. Some of them come to us and things are running well, but they want them to run better or they're anticipating that transitions are coming up. But certainly something like fractional CFO services are great. They can help out in a number of ways for an organization. For example, just making sure that management and the board have that strategic financial function that's advice that they need that a, a, if you, a narrowly defined bookkeeping position 
narrowly defined is just somebody who's doing data entry into your accounting system. There are some people who have the bookkeeper title, but who are capable of a whole lot more, but narrowly defined, that person is just data entry and they're not really doing much to help you interpret that or use that data strategically, much less think ahead. And that's a critical function for any nonprofit, especially once you get out of the kind of, we can do all the math on a napkin and stage of the nonprofit. And so having that fractional CFO to got help the executive director make good decisions, to help the treasurer and the board make good decisions, to help them focus on the right things and not the wrong things, that can save hours or days of time. Many um, executive directors just simply haven't had the training to really know left from right sometimes. Some of them have, but many haven't. And boards, similarly, some of them, they come with people who have a high level of relevant accounting, non nonprofit accounting information. Like a, even if you do have a CPA on your board, if that person doesn't have nonprofit experience, there are critical differences in the way a nonprofit CPA accounting professional is going to handle something versus someone who hasn't. And if you don't know those differences, that getting that sorted out after you've been doing it the wrong way for five or 10 years can be really expensive. I walked into more than one organization where Oh yeah, my cousin or this volunteer set up our chart of accounts, you know, which is the architecture of the accounting. And they set it up for us for free. Isn't that awesome? And no, because you haven't, it hasn't been structured in a way where you can make good management decisions with your books. Mm -hmm. And you need to make, be able to have the data in a way that you can continue to grow the organization, scale it, and be able to answer questions like, is this program making money? Is it losing money? Do we have what are our reserves? How much unrestricted money do we have? What do we need to be worried about cash flow this year? Should we get a line of credit? And those are all questions that it's much better to deal with those with 12 months of anticipation, not 12 days, or you walk in one day and you're not able to run payroll because there's not enough money in the bank. One of the things that I've seen over the years is there's a book called Enumeracy, and it's I read it in college, and it was illuminating to me in that culturally we have, I promise this relates, the, this sort of odd, I would say, pride in not being comfortable with math and numbers. So that's why he called it enumeracy. He said no one would stand at a group of friends and be like, I'm illiterate. And yet with that same group of friends, it's not uncommon to have somebody who's like, oh, I don't understand math. And we're like, oh, yeah, no, it's too hard. And I feel like that reluctance and that, I don't know, almost fear then leads to what you're talking about, where people are nervous to really look at straight the numbers straight in the eye and say, oh, this is what we need to be paying attention to, because this is a planning tool. This helps us to know how to manage our cash flow, like you said, anticipate the need for new infrastructure or talent or to trim something because it's not. And I know for me, obviously, and I think a lot of people the ROI in terms of social programs, there's also the impact, like a lot of times making money on something that is serving a specific population, the balance of that can be difficult. But do you need to know how that fund, the program is funded and the sources of revenue and the ways in which those people are impacted and how that all plays together with the budget? And I feel like that reluctance to be comfortable with numbers can contribute to this back-end issue, if you will. You're absolutely right. I'm going to have to check out that book. That That's 
what you just said is a cousin to a number that's been worrying me for a couple of years. And the number is that 93% of American adults have math anxiety, which means that we are eyes glaze over, we shut down, we don't engage, or we engage in ways that aren't helpful when you, all you do is you put a traditional profit and loss or balance sheet in front of us. And so one of the things that a fractional CFO can do for your organization is help you build that graphic dashboard with all of your key financial measures of health laid out in graphics. Because if you have a good pie chart, a good bar chart, something like that, and all of a sudden that 13 out of 14 of your board members who haven't been engaging all of a sudden can start to do one of their key duties, right? And start to ask good questions about things like the budget and the financial reports. And they, for some people, they just, they, like, like you said, they may be proud that, oh yeah, I don't do the numbers. I got other people to do that. We got a crack team on that. But for other folks, it literally, they can't because they've had some kind of trauma in their life or they're just not wired that the right way, or they haven't had the right kind of training. They've had been socialized to believe that, yeah, numbers just aren't for them. And we got to, as an inclusion issue, it's an important to make that data accessible to everybody so we can have good decisions being made by the board, not just by the one or two people who feel like they get the numbers, who feel like they can read a traditional financial report. I really appreciate that perspective in terms of recognizing that there are ways to present the information that doesn't dilute it, but does make it more accessible and un and relatable. Because I do think sometimes the jargon is the problem. I know that if I get into a certain corporate experience, people will say things and I'm like, I have no idea what they're talking about. And actually what they mean is we need to make a list and then talk about what's going to happen first. But the jargon around it is so comfortable and common that they just go into that speak. And I've been in several different types of business and I usually can suss it out. However, there's that moment of, huh? <laughs> and then, oh, okay, you just made a list. And so I think that's really helpful to recognize that part, especially with a nonprofit board, you've got a lot of volunteers and a lot of people who are showing up and, des and probably deserve the respect of having their a, a knowledge base respect in a way that kind of like knowledge is they, they don't have this degree and there's ways to present this information that isn't that traditional, maybe jargon way that would be more accessible. That's an excellent point. And you got me remembering last week at a conference, I ran into an organization that has a 14 page decoder document for their board members on all the different acronyms that they use. And they were so proud of that. And Inside, I was screaming that, no, you should not be proud of this. You should not expect your board members to memorize a 14-page document or even read it. You need to present information to them in a way that decodes it for them in the moment because they're not going to remember that. You've, I bet they have a lot of staff who don't have all that memorized either, 14 what pages it, of acronyms. Right. And that and it's just so much, it's so dense that can glaze over. You'd be like, oh, 14 pages of decoding the financial report, obviously that's not happening. <laughs> and that's fair because they, once again, like I, when I was running the nonprofit, I always would volunteer and be on a board because I wanted to make sure that I was connected to the fact that my board members were volunteers so that when I would ask them for stuff and they might forget it, I'd be like, but did I follow up with that last week on my board project? Maybe not. Because when you're volunteering your time, 
there's always other things that are pulling on you. So to be respectful of that, that they're volunteering and to make things as accessible to them as you would want them to be if you were in that situation. Totally. You nailed that. Got it right on the head. So I love that you're doing that because the math stuff is so important, obviously, and yet it can be mystical almost. Who would Mm -hmm. you say thrives with your service? Like your typical client, you said small to medium nonprofits, but is there anything else that you would find that distinguishes the people that you really feel like thrive with what you're offering? Certainly. Folks need to know this is one of those things where you get what you pay for. Folks that think that they can, there are there's, if we run into an organization that thinks that, oh, shoot, we're a nonprofit, everything should be free to us, that it's hard to overcome that hurdle. And it's also typically challenging, I've found, for us to report to a board as opposed to reporting to staff, because then all of a sudden, instead of having one personality to interact with, there are like a dozen. Mm-hmm. And so that becomes very complicated. And that also begs the question, if the border, because in a strong, healthy, thriving nonprofit, the board hires the executive director, the executive director hires everybody else. There's only one hiring decision and there's only one person that the board is supervising. Mm-hmm. And, and so usually if the board is engaged in more than that, in terms of whether it's hiring contractors or staff, then usually that's a sign that there may be some other things going on, not in every case, but very often. But certainly we don't shy away from organizations that are having their challenges. Probably half the calls I get are because of the great resignation and because most of my peer accounts, most of us are introverts. Most of us suck it up because that's what we learned and that's how we're wired. And so we just work harder and we work harder and we work harder for years and years until one day we just not get out of bed anymore. We just cannot do it. And we give two weeks notice and our heart is breaking because we're so worn down. Our heart is breaking because of this mission that we've given so much to, but also because we know that if we do anything more than two weeks or some, in a few cases, two minutes, it will quite literally put us in the hospital or worse. And so those are cases that it breaks our heart to, to have to respond to them, but it's a part of the reality also. And so we, we absolutely do our best to go in for those organizations that have just lost their one accountant and they're in crisis. And yeah, we got folks who are not afraid of dealing with a crisis, not afraid of a cleanup job. And especially when we have a staff who are ready and willing to work with us and understand that it's, it's not magic and it's not a snap of the fingers, there's going to be a lot of work for everybody to do. We find that those are really good engagements. We're working with a couple of great organizations right now that totally get that end. They're also very admitted to, we're not going to let this happen again. We're going to make sure that our processes are documented. We're going to make sure that our staff in the future, that all of our accounting staff can actually go on vacation or go on maternity leave or adoption leave or paternity leave or whatever it is so they can maintain work-life balance. That the person who runs payroll most of the time, they should be able to have a vacation at any old time of year and things not fall apart. And it's amazing and it fills our hearts when these organizations get it and they want to not just put a bandaid on things, but really they want to work with us to make sure that the organization is stronger and has a firm foundation under it going forward. Yeah, I can see why that would be a better fit in terms of being able to get the real commitment. Because I know my own experience that 
when I am working to build a more functional system for something in my life that I've recognized isn't going as desired, there's always that chaotic, disrupted time where you're moving from this is how I've always done it. And while it, I know it's not working, it worked ish. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to learn this new thing. And I'm like, gosh, I feel like I'm learning how to walk. I could just do it the easy way that doesn't result in what I want, but I at least feel comfortable. And I have to know that's not how I want to do. So hats off because it's a, an intimate partnership with a company, I think. It is, but it's, those are, yeah, very rewarding. That speaks to what we want to do, which is leave the organizations better than we found them and leave them where they can stand on their own two feet and ideally where they're ready for more growth. So many of them, they aspire to have a bigger impact. They know that they need to get things under the hood straightened out so they can do that, so they can deliver more impact, so they can, yeah, have the growth that they want to need because most of the time in their community, there's a lot more need for the services they provide, but they need to learn how to scale and scale sustainably. And the techniques, the practices that got them here are not going to get them to that next stage of growth. Tell me about some advice that you lean into in this work or in general. Yeah. Uh, personally, there was something my grandmother loved to say, remember who you are and what you represent. And so that certainly sits with me and my siblings and my cousins all the time. Something that I get to pull out of my hat professionally, and that influences me professionally, of course, but then something that I certainly lean into professionally, I find myself referring to quite a bit are the hedgehog concept from Jim Collins' Good to Great, and also the business model canvas, that both of those, even though that's a business book, even though the business model canvas has business, has the first word, those are things that are highly applicable, whether you are building an independent consulting practice or whether you are trying to grow a nonprofit. The concepts are still the same, even though one or two terms might feel jargony and foreign if you are a, a nonprofit here. What does success look like to you? I got into this to help more nonprofits move the needle. And so success for me and for the my team, it looks like more successful nonprofits. It looks like more organizations that really have that solid foundation so that they can not just continue the work that they've been doing, but grow that, grow their impact in the community. Be strong the next time. Something weird comes down the pipeline because weird stuff's going to continue to happen in this world and the resilient organizations, we need more of them. For real. So for folks that are listening and they are like, oh, my cousin works at a nonprofit and they need to call you. What's the best way for folks to get more information or get you have a newsletter? Best way to stay up to date on what you're doing? Yeah. Thank you for asking. The Easiest way to, to follow up with me would be through my website, seanhale.org, S-E-A-N-H-A-L-E.org. And then I don't have a newsletter, but I am very active on LinkedIn. Regularly, I regularly post other people's articles and advice and a few things of my own. And so there's generally good content for leadership and nonprofits and accounting. And you'll find me on LinkedIn. Is there Thank anything you. else that you want to share with folks before we... Bid them adieu. This has been great. Thank you so much, Icela. Thank you. I really appreciate you coming and chatting with me and everybody else.